Well, it was almost six months to the day, but eventually the 2021 A-League season is over and done with, so that means it's time for the end of Season 5 of the Brisbane Football Review, and we're going to look back on, well, mostly the Raw season, but we might touch on some league-wide stuff as well. Good evening, everyone. It's James Scott and Adam here on this locked-down, dreary, kind of rainy Wednesday evening. Scott, how are you? Yeah, locked down. Yeah, well, that's pretty much it, Adam. How about you? Yeah, good. I've got a touch more freedom uh, being classed as a essential worker, but uh, yeah, it's still, it's not great being locked down, I guess, if you can call it that. Yeah, it's, it was, it's a real adjustment for me on Wednesdays and Thursdays. I've got to work from home like normal. So there we go. But um, hopefully we can provide a little bit of levity and entertainment to you over the next hour and a bit or however long we're going to take doing this season review obviously the raw season ended a fortnight ago so we are going to try and focus a little bit on the future as well for the football club and well scott i'm going to start with you and just ask you the simple question what was your opinion of the raw season in the a-league this well, before year before i answer i'll say that this show will go longer than melbourne victory's title hopes of this season just finished but <laughs> but my thoughts on the raw this season is that the question the was that the question? Yeah, well, yeah, sum it up. Look, I, I think it was a pretty good season across the board, wasn't it? There was some highs, there was some lows, there was a lot of development that happened within the team in terms of individuals taking big steps forward, which we'll talk about later on. But the Raw, they got back into the finals, playing at home again for the first time in four years, a home final. That's kind of the barometer, isn't it, James? So I think you'd have to say across the board it's a relatively successful season, albeit with a bit of a, a sour taste at the end. Adam, what about you? Yeah, look, I think if you look at the uh, realistic expectations, I think it was a pass at the end of the day. I think, um, as Scott said, I agree that, you know, finals football, first and foremost, to the raw, that that is, you know, at least that gets you a pass. Uh, and and that's, that's been achieved 10 out of the last 11 seasons. So, but to, to get a home final, that, that was important. But I think also as well that it gives hope for the future as well, that, you know, there's obviously plenty of young players coming through. They've retained some, you know, some of the top you know, veterans you know, and experience in that side. So I think the, the hopes of a championship window or at least a trophy window, I think will be alive for another year or two to come. So I think that that itself is a, um, is a pass. Yeah. I, I, I'm just going to try and sum it up in a few single word phrases, obviously challenging, progressive, encouraging, frustrating, and finally, you know, we'll, well, it's a two-word phrase, but good enough. Obviously, it wasn't, you know, quite... Uh, there were moments where I honestly thought the Raw were going to be the best team in the competition. There were times where they looked like that. There were also times where they looked like a side that was still still developing an identity under Warren Moon. And overall, I think there was just a few, few too many times where the congested fixture list at the end of the season really did take its toll on what was a fairly young squad... And unfortunately, a lot of the issues that they had, I feel like, were from situations that were out of their control. It was 11 games in 38 days, and as much as we all would have loved to have seen the Raw go on with the form that we saw them producing in late January, they just weren't able to really find that consistency and rhythm. But there was a lot. Of, there were a lot of good uh, signs. Obviously, the promotion of several youngsters into the squad, um, Scott as well. Just I suppose the style of play, obviously. We did see the foundations of a really strong uh, backline in 1920, but 
they, I feel like they did go to another level this season in terms of trying to uh, get a little bit more pace and uh, speed into that attack. Yeah, they did. The back line was obviously really, really strong last year. A lot of heavy recruitment in that area. And you started to see the real benefit of, of the, the fruits of that coming through this year, James, as, those, as um, they play more time together and they start to get those combinations up. And that back line was a real strength. And it actually had a couple of real standout players, didn't it? Young Kai Truman was outstanding in there and Corey Brown was brilliant. But going forward, it was also a lot more entertaining this year to me. I thought they were... As a team, a lot more attack oriented than we saw the year before. In 1920, it seemed like they were struggling to find a path to goal, and it was only really right at the end when Scott McDonald came in that they found a semi-regular path to goal. This year, I thought they were a lot more threatening, and it was a lot of the younger guys who were causing that. And that was to me the big thing that I noticed this year was the attacking intent. James was a lot, was a lot more production in the front third. Yeah, well, it was 36 goals scored from uh, 26 matches, which I think was an improvement of seven from the season before overall. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's also just short of the elite standard, James. 40 goals is the elite standard, so they're just they're almost there. That's the big jump they made. I think they scored mid-20s last year, as you mentioned, so that's the big jump they made. And to your point, they did look like at times they were one of the best teams in the league, and when they were scoring all those goals is probably when that was the case. And they're almost there, James. Almost. Almost there. Well, just a quick run through of the... Uh, story of the season. It was four wins uh, from five to start the season, obviously highlighted by a 3-1 win um, against Adelaide United up at Dolphin Stadium, followed by an absolute demolition of Melbourne victory in what, for me, uh, spoiler alert, that was probably the best game of the season, just in terms of overall atmosphere and the performance of the Raw. Sure, you were beating up on the least skilled team in the competition, but you know what? It was still fun. Uh, then they uh, had a bit of a form slump, eight-game winless streak, five draws, and that was where the goal-scoring issues really started to uh, come to the fore. And then eventually a win away to MacArthur kicked off a very busy second half of the season, made the finals with a game to spare, locked up fourth spot in the final week of the season, and then the elimination final. Enough about that, Adam. Yeah, and that's uh, and I think that's the one thing that was... Um, it's, it's funny that they actually finish on the same amount of points and the same record as they did in uh, 1920 with 11 wins, seven draws, eight losses. Um, but yeah, the one, the one thing that did change was, um, was the amount of goals scored. And, um, but, but to think that, that I think that there were a number of, you know, if you count most games, there were a number of chances which had they have taken, I think um, the season would actually be a, a more complete body of work. Defensively, they were there. They, they were the, like last season, that they were second, um, the second best defence in the league again. Um, but yeah, if, if, if you can get that, that total of 36 up into you know, 40, 40, you know, 45 range, um, that, that then puts you in contendership uh, traditionally in, in the league. Yeah, 40 goals will get you there, Adam. You've got to score 40 and you've got to concede less than 25. That's the standard. Every team who's achieved that has gone on and won a trophy at the end of the year. No one did it this year, actually. Melbourne City were so far and away ahead of everyone offensively, but they conceded too many goals. And Sydney FC conceded 23, but they didn't score enough. So there was no actually elite team by that standard. Oh, there you go. Um, Final Raw-related, just overall thoughts on the season question I wanted to ask both of you. Um, I'll answer it first, though, is uh, whether or not the move to Dolphin Stadium worked. And this was actually the least number of Raw games I've been to 
in this like since I took a membership out back in what was it oh nine ten or whatever, but it was also by and large again going back to the circumstances that we mentioned before where like the postponements forcing far too many midweek home games and like I know talking to people from the Raw at the start of the season they were saying you know the, they did not want weeknight home games because they knew people just wouldn't be able to go and like just thinking back there you know a couple of the games that I couldn't make one was you know the Wednesday night where it had been storming and I'd been sick and given the whole paranoia especially at the moment about going out uh, when you've got a cold I thought you know what I'm going to play it safe and stay home so it, it it does feel like it's an easier stadium to not go to but when you're there and when it was rocking with the crowd like Scott we were at the elimination final and when Parsons scored that header that place was rocking and I thought overall and I'll direct this to you Adam the theory behind it was absolutely there unfortunately circumstances got in the way yeah, look, I think I think it's what it comes down to is that yeah, there's too many occasions where not only you had midweek games, but you had midweek games on the back of weekend games either before or after, or in some cases where you had three games in seven days. And in this economy, and in just you know, especially if you're someone that's from the south side, you just cannot afford to travel to Redcliffe three times. Like even even people that on the north side would start after two, thinking, oh, especially it's a game that you know from a non-drawing team like our know, Western United or Macarthur or something like that. Yeah, it became so that they were victims of circumstance of itself. Um, but oh, just on the uh, Raw's average attendance this year was six thousand one hundred and eighty-one, which was actually still fourth in the league. So as far as average attendances go, it was still up there. Which Raw traditionally have been sort of middle of the pack. But the one um, staggering number is that if you go on attendances over the last five years, it's um, it's down 57%. So, I don't know, you can't just attribute that to the stadium move, and, but also as well, the league average over that time as well, the attendance is down 50%. Yeah. So, it's, it is bearing that. It's actually down 18% from last year as well. So, But the league average is actually down 19. So I think it's a sign of the Times League. You can't really... And the point of bringing those figures up is that you can't just go and say, oh, Raw have gone and stuffed this completely because of you know moving to Dolphin Stadium. Because just in general, numbers across the league, attendances have dropped. And that's probably got a lot to do with living in a pandemic. So, as far as, like, I, I think financially it was a better move for the Raw, but I think circumstances was too many home games on a weeknight and too many home games back-to-back with weekend games, which would where the crowd would have suffered. Yeah, and on that as well, I know there were a couple of those midweek games that were also played in, and also a couple of weekend games, actually, that were played in ridiculously crappy weather as well. It was raining sideways, the pitch was a mud pit or something like that, and... There was a good case to say, I really can't be bothered driving out there. As someone, you know, from the south side that's looking at, you know, with a good run, 35 minutes door to door, and that is very, very generous, mind you. Um, yeah, I can understand why it's tougher to go, but I'll be honest, some of those nights, like, if it was at Suncorp and I had to walk to the bus stop and catch the bus there instead of driving for three games in seven days, I think there is every chance I would have said, you know what, I don't think I'm going to go either. But... 
like, regardless of where it was at. But that's just my situation, and I know everyone's going to have a different take on it. Yeah, I certainly felt the same way, James. I mean, driving up there three times in a week from my place on the south side, it's an hour drive. I did it for most. I think I, I missed two games. I missed the victory game 5 0, and I missed the final game of the year, the year against Sydney FC when I wasn't feeling the best. So I can certainly understand that. To me, it's an incomplete. I, don't, I think you've got to give a, a full season, in hopefully fingers crossed next year without a pandemic around, or at least less of an impact from the pandemic around, and a more favourable schedule for the Raw. Because I think a lot of the games that were moved were some of their big marquee games. They had to move their Anzac Day game off that date because of COVID issues and someone couldn't fly in. So a lot of the things that they probably had planned, James, they weren't able to execute. So I think you've got to... I would like to see it a full season without a lot of these disruptions if possible and a lot of more weekend games as opposed to midweek just to make a full a full judgment on it because you're right, the semi-final in that second half when the Raw were attacking the northern end and the crowd really were getting behind them, that's that's the selling point of Dolphin, isn't it? When it's, it's, it's pretty much full and there's a great atmosphere but we didn't get enough of that over the course of the season because of the external issues which no one could control. Yeah, and hopefully by the time next season starts, we'll be in a position for that. But just just your point about the difference between uh, Dol- Dolphin Stadium and Suncorp Stadium is that like six thousand one hundred uh, and eighty one uh, average attendance. I think that financially for the club, I actually think that might be at least salvageable. You put that number in Suncorp Stadium, and the club is in financial peril. So I think it's one of those cases where, you know what, and look, maybe it would even attract 1,000, maybe 2,000 more. But still, even at 8,000 at Suncorp Stadium, it just doesn't make any financial sense. So it's, I'm to lean towards Scott where I'm thinking, you know what, until we get a full season where you're pretty much, you know, one weekend at home, one weekend away sort of fixture list. Because you also remember there are a lot of home games bunched in because of, you know, state border closures and whatnot. So there was that fatigue factor as far as, you know, attendances go. So look, it's just hard to know um, about, you know, the true impact as far as, you know, overall about, about the move to Dolphin. And just another thought on that as well is, let's be honest, sporting fans, not just in Brisbane, but in Australia, are quite fickle. And I think this is also perhaps where the Raw's inconsistency really could have um, come back to bite them as well where when you did have those weekend games admittedly the Wellington one I th- think you would have uh, been lucky to get the entire uh, Redcliffe seafaring industry out to that game <laughs> considering how heavy it was raining but mm. yeah I just don't think that um, I, there was probably that scepticism of are we sure the Raw are good now I know obviously we're all fans and wanted to assume the best and think that they were but if you're one of those fans that, well, I'm not going to call them a bandwagoner, but needs to come and see a winning product, there just wasn't enough there to bring in that second tier. Whereas, you know, forgive me for going into another um, code here, but you saw with the Queensland Reds, they start winning, they get 41,000 to the Super Rugby Australia Grand Final at Suncorp. So, you know, and take a look at the Lions. Most people couldn't tell you when they were playing three years ago, but now... You know, allegedly the hottest ticket in town. It's the hottest ticket in town. Yep. So, like, I I do maintain like if the Raw start off the season the way they did last uh, last season, just completely bombing on and you know playing some of the best football I've seen the club play ever. 
then I think you do suddenly make it a ticket that you want to get to. And again, that's what we've been talking about, you know, that the Wanderers did so well when they came into the league. They made their ticket a must-buy. They made memberships a must-buy because like, there were people complaining they couldn't get into Wanderers games because they didn't have a membership or didn't know a member whose ticket they could use. And surely that's got to be the goal for Dolphin Stadium. Maybe you're not selling it out week after week, but for games like, you know, when you've got Sydney FC and the big Melbourne club, you know, City coming to town, or the two small ones, Western United and Victory. Um, like when you've got the big Melbourne club, City coming to town, you've got, um, you've got that drive to go out and see them. And you're putting that pressure on the fan base to say, all right, commit. Because at, also on those fixtures, Adam, they were getting released in six weeks, six week blocks, if that. Yeah. So it was always really difficult to go and say, yeah, I know that, all right, in over the uh, Easter school holidays, I need to get, I'm going to be able to get to these three games or whatever. So that was the other issue as well. And it does pivot perfectly to the next point that Scott has put on the run sheet. So well done, Scott. Um, talking about the COVID impacts on the overall season and, Look, it was a really frustrating season uh, to cover. I think the two of you will share that opinion, just not knowing what was coming next. Obviously, you know, again, small potatoes compared to some of the other things people have had to deal with over the last 18 months or whatever. But just having that uncertainty of, you know, are we sure any of these games are going ahead? Are we going to get the games finished by the June 30 deadline? Which, thankfully, they did. It, It really did make for an interesting season where the on-field product had to come through in a big way. Yeah, from beginning to end, it made a massive impact, didn't it, right from the beginning when we weren't sure when the league was going to start. Let's be honest, we weren't weren't exactly sure when it was going to start. And I don't think there was a time in the season, James, where there wasn't a border issue somewhere preventing a team from travelling from one state to another. And that's not even mentioning the great sacrifice Wellington made, basing themselves in New South Wales for about 90% of the season. So even without that, there was always a border closure somewhere in Australia preventing someone going somewhere. So it was a massive challenge. You've got to give credit, actually, to mm. the people running the league at the APL and also the clubs that being able to... Don't say that on Twitter. You will get a uh, season. new one for that. I'm sure I will, but I can deal with that. But they, they deserve credit for it because it was a very, very difficult season to run, even right up to the finals, James. I mean... Last week, the grand final, up until, what, Tuesday last week, we weren't 100% sure what was happening. So from the start to finish, it had a massive impact, as it has, has for all of us in many different ways, but it had a big impact on the season. Adam? Yeah, look, I, I actually echo the point that um, Scott made. That it is, it is a miracle that we got all the games in. Because um, at times, yeah, with the border closures and whatnot, um, the the June the hard June thirty deadline. Because if it had it gone past that, oh, I don't know what would happen. So we got got uh, got the season done with a week to spare. So so yeah, but um, I think it was just challenging overall. I think I think the clubs overall as well, the players. It was just um, a change of season. So I think yeah, it, it goes to the point of yeah, as far as yeah. The decision of Football Australia to sort of withdraw the Australian teams from the Asian Champions League is because you know 
is this season was hard enough and long enough as it was. Then go through another you know month of football beyond that, plus all the you know logistical nightmares of international travel. You know, and logistics all that. Look, I, I think it's just a case of you know enough's enough. So, so yeah, it, it's it's a, one of those seasons that will it was, was a challenge, but thank God we got through it. So just on subject, shout out to Graham Harvey for getting Kaya through there. That was who the Raw would have played in that first game. They managed to, <laughs> yes. they got the bye and they played against Shanghai and got through. So congratulations to them for that. I think that's the, our wrap of the ACL 2021, yep, James. That, well, oh, that's not true. If Graham Harvey is a loyal listener of this podcast and uh, wants to get in touch with us, we'll happily continue to... I meant for this show. Oh, yeah. For this show, absolutely. But I'm just trying to yeah. you know, keep us relevant. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> now, I'm going to go through a couple of questions so um one one at a time so adam you get to uh, be first cab off the rank here what was your best non-raw story of the a-league season oh uh, look i think it's actually the answer is actually in, in the run sheet and i think for mine it is the fact that the a-league has gone from being known solely as a veterans recycled league to all of a sudden, hey, Australian, Australia has actually has some decent young talent that can actually play at that level. Um, whether the actual level, the full level of the A-League has gone you know, down or whatnot, the, the standard as has over the last couple of seasons, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a debate for another time. But you know what? Every club, every club was forced to, because of the lower salary cap, because of the uh, issues of the pandemic, they had to play the kids. And in a lot, in many cases, not just at the Raw, but uh, across the league, there were success stories about players that, who probably would not have gotten a chance you know, in years gone by, who actually not only came to the fore and you know, played uh, professional football, but also you know, was starred and, you know, and all of a sudden uh, household names in the league. So I think for mine, that's the story of the season, is that you know, the kids go all right. Yep. Uh, Scott? I'm sorry I, I gave Adam. Agree with that. Actually, I was going to say, uh, Adam said I'd drop in standard in the league. What you you thought some of these these visa players were any good? Did you? Because I could, I would absolutely rather watch these young players than any of those visa players who aren't here this year. Because I think the standard has risen, and it's the young players who've driven it. Because you give young people an opportunity, and they will they will reward you. And I agree that is the story of the year. And, okay, individually, some clubs had really good years. Central Coast had a good year. Melbourne Victory less so, but. Yeah. The storyline of the season, James, is the young players have got an opportunity. And Adam said it. Every club has given young players an opportunity. And you go through every single A-League team and you will find at least one or two young players who got not maybe not a debut this year, but got a lot more football this year than they had previously who kicked on and become real key contributors in their in their clubs. And you look at now the Socceroos played recently. A lot of young A-League players are in that squad. Oli Roos squad name this week. Again, a lot of young players who played in the A-League this year in that squad. So that's the real story of the year. And I hope it continues. I, I know it might open up a bit next year and maybe we'll see a bit more, a few more visa players. But I hope not at the expense of the young players. Yeah. Just, just, just to clarify as well, that debate wasn't going to be with me because I agree with you. <laughs> I, I, but there are people out there that would argue that the standard may have dropped off a little bit because of the younger players, which I, I call absolute you know, bull on, but that sentiment's out there. Yeah, that's what the league needs more of, James. More tactical sense. But that's, but that's, yeah. but that's also uh, on that as well. What a lot of the criticisms from those same people, Adam, they were saying that you know, oh, the league's no like the, um, like the league wasn't that good with the old players anyway. So 
how far can it have dropped? <laughs> Any, and anyway, it's not like um, you have what happens in some of the big, I don't know, European championships where a defender back passes <laughs> into his own net because the keeper took his eye off the ball. That only ever happens in Australia, never in the big European leagues, right, A-League what's, memes? What's that term? So, what's that term that they use? Uh, peak European championships. Bingo. Yeah. But, you know, instead you've got the morons on Twitter at certain accounts that love to just crap on the league. But, hey, don't worry. As long as you're contributing to the discourse in a negative way, that's what the mute button's for. Anyway, um, my positive of the season is, um, well, it, it's going to be Melbourne City. Like, they're finally fulfilling the promise that they, you know, showed for quite a while. And they, I know they came close last year, but... Getting to see some of the, you know, uh, young players coming through. Obviously, you know, Marco Tilio And in the finals, you had Stefan Cholakovsky as well, just for two names that really leapt out. And obviously, you know, the good, you know, underdog story can only go so far. But I think they're going to do a really good job as well, probably down the line of becoming the next villains that everyone wants to knock off their perch. And that's probably the uh, next step for Melbourne City, and I can't wait to see how they embrace that role. It's always good when the small clubs get up, isn't it? Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, and also, if it, for me, the club story of the year is Central Coast. What they did there down there with Alan Stadges and that group of players is something that I don't think anyone, even in their right mind, predicted they would do that. I think a lot of stuff up here has uh, been said about, oh, no one picked the Raw to make the top six well no one picked the Mariners to finish any higher than 11th let's be honest so yeah, what my, they my achieved bad. to be able to get <laughs> yeah exactly right here as well to be able to host a final not just make finals but host a final and be in the top two for the majority of the season that's an unbelievable job from both Alan and those players down there who not many people wanted it see it's a it was a group of players who had been cast off around the league and they came together and did an outstanding job yep um uh, we'll just say quickly as well, congratulations, Melbourne Victory. Uh, worst season in the club's history, finally paying for a few lean years here in Brisbane, aren't you? <laughs> that's pr- that's pretty much it. But um, it'd be in- look, actually, I think it'd be interesting to see how they bounce back, actually, because uh, so far, I- I'm- unless Tony Popovich you know, gets on his skates and really does some heavy recruiting, I, I cannot see how the situation's going to improve for Victory. They- this whole sort of notion is, oh, they'll bounce back straight away, I'm not so sure about that. So I think it's just a wait and see. Yeah, just one word answer, James. Who do you reckon's in more trouble, by the way, MacArthur, Western United or Newcastle? You can make a case for any of Western them. Western United. So two words. Yep. But um, all I was... All I... They're all in trouble, aren't they? Big off-season for those three. They've all got big issues to resolve. I don't think MacArthur has as big of an issue as... In terms of crowds, I mean, with MacArthur. Yeah, but I... Didn't make the impact you would have hoped as a... A new club. No, but also I think that probably had something to do with the, again, circumstances surrounding the season. Um, and hopefully that is something that will continue to grow. Obviously, they're not going to come in and uh, take too much away from the Wanderers or Sydney FC, but I think Western United, like, that club is absolutely just treading water mm. until they can get a home, which if they can't deliver it soon, I would be absolutely fine with getting rid of their license and giving it to Melbourne Knights or something. Just not any uh, Melbourne NPL club with a geographical direction in their name. <laughs> but what, relocate them to uh, the Gold Coast or something? Yeah, that could do. 
What's wrong with the Port of Melbourne? That's a good spot. That's a geographic location. Directional location. Yeah, look up. Try and... Try and sort of... uh, Get back to it. Um, yeah, look, I think Western United as well. Not only their off-field um, issues, but on-field as well. They they had a very very old roster with only a few young players sort of coming through. Again, the, the young players they got were very very good. Problem is, there wasn't enough of them because you had a lot of older players. And while you wouldn't trade out Alessandro Diamanti for the world, um, a few other ones you probably couldn't. You know, like I said they're going they're going to need to recruit heavily to. Um, to try and sort of, you know, get back back as far as you know, anywhere near they need to be. Speaking of uh, Western United, I couldn't help but notice on uh, his Instagram, Bessar Barish is training on the Gold Coast, so I wonder if there's anything to that. He might get a mention later on <laughs> oh, in, a, in, a, in a future segment. All right, well, uh, just uh, <laughs> heading back to our A-League team of the year. Uh, do, we, do either of you want to go first? Yeah, well, I've got I've got mine all okay, set. Okay, just hang on. Let me get a pen so I can just do the copy paste. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would. <laughs> I'll, trust me, my, mine's not that great, so I don't know why you copy me. Well, we'll just see. Okay, go. Alrighty, uh, for me and goals, uh, Adam Federici, uh, defence, uh, Nathaniel Atkinson, Curtis Gordon, uh, Mark Milligan, and Corey Brown. Uh, in midfield, Graham Dorans, Connor McCarth, and Ulysses Davia. And the forwards, uh, Matt Derbyshire, Jamie McLaren, and Craig Goodwin. On the bench, Jamie Young, uh, Scott Jamison, Joel King, Jay O'Shea, Jake Rimmer, uh, I can't read my writing, Costa Barbarousas, and Toma Hamed, coach Packers Norbo. Yep, okay. And Scott. Yes, okay, so in goal I have Jamie Young, at right back Scott Galloway, Alex Wilkinson, Kai Rolls and Corey Brown, in midfield Luke Bratton, Oliver Bazanic and Connor Metcalf, with a front three of Ulissa de Villa, um, Riku Danzaki and Jamie McLaren. On the bench, Oli Sales, Scott Jamison, Ruan Tongik, Denny Genro, Marco Tilio, Toma Hamed and... Matt Darbyshire with Patrick Kuznorbo as the coach. All right. Now, mine, which um, may have just been a frantic throw together in the five minutes before we started recording because I cannot for the life of me find the piece of paper where I put this originally. Uh, goalkeeper... Just copy oh, the PFA team in the This Just use the PFA team in the Inola. Okay. Um, so let's see. It is goalkeeper Adam... No, just kidding. Um, goalkeeper Jamie Young. <laughs> um, it's a very strange 4-4-2 formation I've gone with, but... Uh, defenders Ruin Tongyik, Curtis Good, McGowan, and uh, Jamison. Uh, midfielders Caceres, Bazanic, O'Shea, Davia. Uh, forwards J Mac and Derbyshire. Uh, and then on the bench, you've got Federici, Milligan, Brown, Bratton, Metcalf, Riku, and Toma Hamed. The coach, of course, is Alan Stajic. Two. It's. The coach of the year could have been one of four, but um, anyway, that's that important stuff done. Well, that's Warren Moon not talking to any of us for the next two months, then. <laughs> he, can, he can be the uh, youth team coach of the year. There we go. Because, let's be honest, it was quite a, uh, quite a few youth players coming through into the Raw team this year. Scott, how many players were used by the Raw? Well, that's an excellent question, James. It was a lot, wasn't it? It was 20, 28, the same as last year, actually, with 14 debutants, which is which is heavily backed on the youth. And I think six of them were from the youth academy and eight played in it all up. So a lot of youth got their opportunity this year, and we'll talk about the individuals shortly, but 
that was the real joy, wasn't seeing those young kids get their chance, and there was plenty of them this year. Yeah, and it was also the uh, most disciplined um, side in the league as well. They did win the Fair Play Award, so some the most important trophy of the year, without yep. doubt. And Macaulay Gillespie got the one red card of the season in round twelve against Wellington. I cannot, for the life of me, remember how he got that. Um, do either of you? Because I can't remember what, what round twelve was. It was the game in Newcastle against Wellington, oh. and he got. And he, I think he took one for the team later. That's right. It was. Yeah. Now I remember. That would that would be why because I could only remember the uh, actually both games against Wellington were basically played in monsoonal conditions. So there we go. Um, that one's also known as the um, the goal 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 game. Goal 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 game. Goal goal goal. <laughs> All right. Um, so we're going to run through the squad now um, just go quick fire round the table with some individual players so Scott since you went to the effort of putting this list together with your meticulously kept statistical sheet who do you want to cover first from the defenders and the keepers uh, we'll go with the keeper okay talk about Jamie Young's season he was absolutely fabulous wasn't he he has been pretty much since day one he had a, maybe a shaky start in his first couple of games for the Raw way back in the day but He's been he's gotten better and better each year, and he's been absolutely brilliant this year. Yet again, I think he won the raw handful of points on his own this year with a couple of his saves. I mean, six clean sheets is a really good effort, and I was surprised he didn't get goalkeeper there in the competition. I think there were some good goalkeepers, but to me, he was the standout, an absolutely brilliant player, and he's just been absolutely brilliant for the raw, hasn't he? He's just he's an absolute staple now, and someone you can really rely upon to make a real impact in the team. All the other brilliant season yet again Adam who do you want to cover uh, look I want I'll um, obviously I agree with um, Scott's sentiments on James Young so there's no point um, re- repeating that look I actually think um, Kai Truan I think is probably the story of the season as far as defenders go um, look he, he from the start of the season to the end of the season he just transformed from you know a young player that had some promise to you know to a defender that was reliable and you know, for a lot of people, probably feels they probably deserve to actually probably start in that elimination final um, against Adelaide based on form, and and, and maybe should have uh, they should have spared uh, Tom Aldred. Obviously, as circumstances um, as circumstances sort of came out, didn't go that way. But yeah, look, his his development as of a player over a season was just it was a joy. It was a joy to watch. You know, and look, may may there be you know many years to come of his professional career because I think he's he became um, a very, very integral part of that raw setup this season. Yeah, I... Well, this is going to sound really boring, but yes, I agree with both of your sentiments. I want to um, discuss the most, I suppose, capped player from the raw defence this season. That was Corey Brown. Talk about getting a new lease of life. Well, the minute the raw shifted to that back three and he sort of shifted to that uh, full-back, wing-back, midfielder role... And he just had the freedom to skip forward as often as he wanted. I, th- I thought he was as dangerous as any of the other attacking fullbacks in the league. Obviously, his delivery was in, like was immense. I think he played the through ball for that uh, match winner against Western United up at Dolphin in May, where it was a basically a sandwich sort of chipped through to free up Riku. And yeah, I think overall, he just offers so much in attack as well. And it is a wonderful maturation of a player that, let's be honest, we've been kind of harsh on in the past. Mostly when it's with Melbourne. It has. You, 
Absolutely, he was an absolute ever-present on the left-hand side. I just want to talk about the guy on the right-hand side, Josh Brindle-South. I think for his first season in back in professional football, was absolutely brilliant. He, obviously, we knew he was going to start off outside of the team with Jack Ingott as the as the starting right-back, but through injuries and opportunities, Josh got his opportunity. I thought he really, really grew into it, and every game that he played, he got better and better and better, and he looked a real threat going forward in the front third, James, and pretty much everything that you said about Corey Brown just before, I think you could echo and... It says exactly the same with Josh. Although he was really, really impressive on the right-hand side. And it's given Warren a real conundrum, hasn't it, now on that right-hand side? He's got two really good players there with experience fighting for that one position. The rest of the defenders, pretty much most of the rest of them were what we expected them to be, weren't they? We knew that Tom and McCauley and Scott Neville, when he came back, they were going to be really solid and they'd lived up to that. But they're the, the ones you mentioned, Corey and Kai Truen and Josh, to me, were the, the real improvers this year in standouts. Yeah, I think it was, this was... The way that Moon seems to want to play, the fullbacks have a fantastic opportunity to shine in this system, and hopefully um, they can build on what they did this season and try and turn it into a little bit more. Adam, uh, last uh, call for any defenders that you want to cover. Yeah, look, uh, the only the only uh, other one I was going to mention was Scott Neville. Uh, you know, when he came back from India, it was always going to be question how he'd go, but look, he came back, he fit, fit like a glove in that in that back three, and look, I think it was just a case of he may not been all. You know, the most sort of, you know, what's the word I'm trying to look for? He wasn't sort of, you know, always starring in there, but you know what? He was there, he was solid, and, you know, he just adds, he just adds another layer to that, um, that reliable defence, which, you know, you, you build, you build everything behind. So, yeah, look, um, it was good to see him come back from India and, you know, really sort of take a prominent role in the, in the defence. Yep, fair enough. Scott, first call on the midfield. What was your standout from uh, the three we've got listed there? Well, I'll go with the player who I mentioned at the start of the season. I thought it was a big, big year for him, and that was that's Ramad Akbari, and he stepped up big time this year in that role as an ever-present in there. I know he, statistically it wasn't the greatest of years, but he did a lot of the things that you don't really notice in a game. His positioning was really good, recycling of the ball. I thought he stepped up alongside Joe Shea in that dual pivot role and was really, really impressive. And He had competition for that spot, James. Jesse Daly was, was there and fighting for that spot, and so was Danny Kim, and to be a, a regular player, I thought he stepped up big time this year. We started to see just how good of a player he is. The, the challenge now would be to try and convert some of the opportunities he's getting in the front third now. He had a few shots late in the year from outside the area. If he can start converting on those, he could become a really, really good player. But he had a, really, he had a breakout year for me. Yeah. Young Ramat. No, I agree. I think he was, at one point, I think I said, you know, he was the 11th uh, best starter in the starting 11. But he really did grow to almost feel that Scott Neville role of the defence um, where you knew what you were going to get from him. Um, maybe not always the most spectacular and flashy of players, although he did pull off some uh, tricks from time to time. Uh, I just want to say Jay O'Shea, another impressive season, um, fantastic goal against Adelaide and probably had the almost goal of the season uh, against the Wanderers oh. back in April. Oh. Adam, uh, do you want to touch on anything from the midfield? Uh, yeah, look, well, obviously, of the recognised midfielders, there's only one other one. And look, um, you, you couldn't be any happier with the uh, the output that uh, Jesse Daly put through. You know, again, um, his battle with uh, Ramat Akbari for that uh, that second sort of midfield screening role, um, he, like I said, nine, nine starts, 15 subs off the bench. So, Joe, he, he, was, he was getting... Um, 
getting minutes, if not no starting all the time, but he was getting on the pitch, you know, normally as a like for like sub. So, but he he did a job. So, uh, his season I thought as well was was passable. Yep. If that Joe O'Shea goal, Joe Joe O'Shea goal went in, James, that would have been the greatest goal in the history of the A League. Seriously, <laughs> that would have been a ridiculous goal if that had gone in. I, I'm still. And I still remember the little jump he had as he he thought that was in. Yeah. Like just <laughs> watching his reaction, he thought that was in too. He it would have been better. Like, the only other goal I have to compare that would be um, Orlando Engelar's goal for Melbourne Park. Yeah. Or six, yeah, before they came to City. Yeah, that, that, that one, that did go in. But, um, yeah, that, that's what it reminded me of. And like I said, it was probably David, Be- David Beckham-like against, against Wimbledon all those years ago. Funny, I, I would have thought the best goal in A-League history would have been Pardalou's header back in 2011. But I guess I'm... That's the I most guess celebrated. <laughs> Not best. Anyway, uh, the forwards. I, I'm going to start this one because, well, I'm the host, so suck it. Um, I'm, and start off with Riku Danzaki. What an acquisition he was. Uh, joint Golden Boot winner for the Raw. And I, I honestly thought he was going to struggle a little bit from the outset, but he just, for some reason, the A-League agreed with him and oh, he was just so much fun to watch. And also, you know, the biggest honour he will win this season, the Brisbane Football Review A-League Player of the Season. And, yeah, please, you know, if you're listening, uh, anyone at wherever the Roar are based at the moment, please sign him back because he was phenomenal. Adam? Yeah, um, look, uh, you, you always sort of uh, question why a, you know, a 21-year-old Japanese player would make the move to the A-League and, you know, and you could tell why he was sort of, you know, he was a prize player. You could tell he had the grounding, had the technique. It just had to sort of put the performance on the board and, look, he was um, he was great all season long. Um, he did go missing occasionally, but again, so, so does everyone. So, so yeah, I think overall, but he had, he had a phenomenal season and, look, it'd be, it'd be a great thing to see him him back, but I just think it may be beyond uh, the raw and probably most A-League clubs' um, reach. I think at the moment, fortunately, I think I mean, he he's destined for bigger and better things in Japan. Yeah, damn it. Um, yeah, you're right. All the big players do go missing. Um, you know, in big games, just ask Thomas Muller and Timo Werner about that. Scott, uh, who did you want to talk about from the forward line? Well, not that game you're referring to. I can guarantee you that. But with as for Ricky, that's it was great recruitment, wasn't it? it was bold. Out, out of the box thinking to go and get a young player from Japan who wasn't wasn't even playing in the J-League or, any, or at that time. So to go and get him and to have it work out as well as it did, it's a huge tick for Warren and the, the, whoever was... I think Jade North was behind that, wasn't he? He was. In terms of he had links to that club. So that was great recruitment and hopefully it's a, it's a blueprint other clubs and maybe even the Raw can go back to in the off-season and maybe bring out one or two more young clubs because we can get another couple of Riku Danzaki type players in this league that will be all the better for it. The other young the other young player I want to talk about in the forward line is actually Alex Parsons. What an impact he made in the back half of the season when he did get his opportunity. I know he did make his debut very early in the season. He went back to the NPL level where he scored goals for fun. And then when he got his opportunity back in the A-League, boy, did he take it. it, it the goal he scored against the Mariners to, to start things off was great. And then he just continued on. And he became... Almost the player the Raw looked to as the X factor, and he was. I know we were talking about it at halftime in the elimination final, James, and we thought if there's any player who's going to get the Raw out of this, it's going to be Alex Parsons. And he came on and had an impact, and it's a tremendous, tremendous um, just 
story, isn't it? Really, a young player stepping up and going from not just a an option, but a top end option for the for a team hosting a final. He had a a brilliant season, and he's got a very bright future ahead of him. Yep, I agree. The only thing I want to add on Alex Parsons is uh, I think he'd look good in number seven next season. No. Oh, any, any number lower than 30-something would be would be great. Um, also, as well, I want to sort of focus as well on uh, Joe Champness as well. Uh, look, there was always questions, uh, you know, coming back after his uh, sabbatical from the game and questions whether, you know, he was going to be anywhere near the, the player he... Um, that he he was shown to be before he went off to do to chase his musical career and uh, look I'd say that yeah he he showed signs I think if I think if if the finishing was there and I think that's the only thing I'd say that was lacking was um, his cutting edge finishing if that if that comes together like I I think he's definitely going to be where he needs to be as far as you know a um, recognizable player in the league so um, but I think for the raw he did he did a great job yeah I think when he was on he was borderline unplayable it was just a case of you know he was quite hot and cold and that's probably what we expect from a guy getting back into football for the first time in 12 or so months or whatever it was but I think it was a valuable part of the team and yeah I think we all thought he clearly had an impact given how we voted for him in the player of the season tallies as well it wasn't a popular thing that he was so hyped no, but when he was on you're right he was absolutely on it was maybe a little bit inconsistent but at his best he was brilliant I think the other Ford we do have to talk about James is Dylan Wenzel Hall. I know he's moving on, but it was a talk about this is hot where and you're crapping on him, right? Now that he's leaving, uh, we'll save that <laughs> for when he comes back next year. But again, he was hot and cold this year, wasn't he? He had moments where he looked like he was going to be a breakout star, and then he went on that long run at the back end of the year where he just could not find a goal. And that's what we've seen from Dylan, isn't it? Over the course of his time with the Raw, now it's coming to an end, but hot and cold he was at his best again he was really really good but we just didn't see enough from him and get enough output in the front third ultimately to better rely upon him going forward yeah that's pretty much the best way you could see him pressing and trying to force himself out of that funk as well but unfortunately it wouldn't come and if he you can does see him working at western united too with all their aging stars you can see him doing a lot of running to make it all link together in that that system as well oh yeah definitely like he's one of those guys that I like him enough that... or I like the style of player he can be. That if he succeeds at Western United, then I'll be really, really happy for him. I'll still hate him two or three times every season, but, you know, that's fairly common for a lot of the Raw players who have departed that I liked. Um, We'll talk quickly about the youngsters as well. Some of the players that featured sparingly this season. uh, Macklin Freak, Jordan Courtney Perkins, Keegan Yelisic, Hashan Ramazani... Eli Adams, Cyrus Demi, uh, no appearances for Isaac Powell and Brandon McMorrow. Uh, so overall, I suppose Jordan Courtney Perkins is uh, also going to belong on the next list of The Departed. But um, yeah, I thought when he came in, you saw the promise of a really you know talented young defender that, I've said it before and I'll say it again, the worst thing that he did was get stuck behind someone as good as Macaulay Gillespie. 
Yeah, look, I think that's sort of what, in a way, um, might have stymied his, uh, his, his rise to prominence. But, you know, then again, we can't really complain, you know, for what uh, Macaulay Gillespie gave to the, the side. I think it, just, it was just a matter of him finding his time. Look, he's only 18 years old. I think, you know, his size and his stature, I think we forget that at times, that he is only 18. And um, But, but yeah, look, uh, it, it's a shame to see him go, but I, I'm glad to, to see that it's not to another A-League club. So, look, we, again, like uh, Dylan Windsor Hall, so, to a certain extent, we, we wish him the best of luck in his future endeavours. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty that much. List of, that list of players, James, that's the scope for improvement for the Raw going forward. A lot of those young players, I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of them next year. They didn't get as much of an opportunity as Alex Parsons did, but Cyrus got his chance at the end of the year. He looked like he was lively, just needs that goal to really get him going. And for the rest of those young players there, there's a lot to like about them and they, they could form the form the backbone as part or not back but be part of the squad going forward which has a real homegrown flavor to it and there's some real talent there some of which is only really scratching the surface at the a-league level yeah exactly and you've got to remember how young some of those players are um, some guys who are well some are young some are not so young uh, the players that departed during the season uh, apparently Jai Ingham started one game for the raw I have no idea when it was. It was probably very early in the season, maybe even game one against Melbourne City. Um, But I suppose as well, Scott McDonald, horrible falling out there. I, you know, we're probably never going to know exactly what happened until McDonald writes a book. But um, yeah, the departed player I want to give a bit of a mention to is Anthony Burke Gilroy, who, like, okay, he shouldn't have been wearing 22. No raw player should have been allowed to wear that number. Uh, post-2017. But I thought overall, like, I saw something in him there, and if he was to come back again next year, at least on a trial basis, I really wouldn't be against it because, yeah, that game against Sydney, he offered something. It, I, I'm not entirely sure what it was, but it was definitely something. First of all, the disrespect for not remembering Jai Ingham's one glorious start for the Brisbane Roar. Disrespectful. When, when was it? I think it was round one. I think it was actually <laughs> round one, to be honest. But uh, you mentioned what you said about Burke not shouldn't be wearing 22. You can extend that out to Pascal Flotman, who also Patrick. wore a 22 shirt. But young Burke was good, wasn't he? When he came in, I liked him as a player. I was surprised that Raw didn't keep him around. I know they were playing him in the MPL up here for a couple of weeks to keep him ticking over. I was surprised they didn't keep him around. I thought he was a, a real good shout for a squad option in there. And I... Th- I I wouldn't be surprised if someone else picks him up because he looked a real player and I'm I'm, I'm I'm disappointed Danny Kim didn't get more opportunity I know he had injuries and there was a really good form from the midfielders ahead of him but he looked really good at the back end of last season he just never got a look in did he unfortunately so I can understand why he moved on but it's a bit of a shame he didn't get more of an opportunity here but for the experienced guys moving on it just it is what it is and we cover the McDonald thing in depth I don't really want to go over that again to be honest with you he, he got closer to the Optus Sports Studios that's what he wanted Adam um, anything any of those names really jump out at you um look yeah it's uh, look I, it's not much more I can add to that um the, look, yeah I, I really rated Anthony Burke, Burke Gilroy surprised that he, he wasn't retained um I'm not, I'm not sure the reasons behind that the others yeah look um, there's not really much to say other than, look, obviously the elf in the room is Scott McDonald, but again, we've covered that, um, but that's old ground, you know, 
I'm not, I'm not sure what he's, he's planning to do beyond this season or whether he's retire or whatever he's going to do, but I know he's he's a free agent at the moment, so... No. So, yes. No, 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 no I'm not su- <laughs> suggesting that. But, what I would but, say um, about him... Oh, go ahead, Adam, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, I haven't really got much to that. What I would say about him is he, alongside Golgol and Masato Kudo, they just didn't work, did they? No. Masato was never fit enough to be involved on a consistent basis. Golgol wasn't the option the Raw needed ultimately in the end. And McDonald, uh, it worked at the back end of last year, and this year it seemed like he he just wasn't there, was he? Just, he wasn't the same player, and you can see why why Warren opted to move him on. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, well... Oh, and also possibly the most pointless signing of the season, uh, another player who shouldn't have been allowed to wear number 22, Patrick Flotman. I... Yeah, I've been I've over that a lot as well, so yeah. uh, not much more to say. Um... That's all good. Let's move yeah. on then. Okay, so now it's time after 52, 53-odd minutes of uh, talking about the season that was, it's time to look forward to the upcoming 2021-22 A-League season, whether that's kicking off in October, November, whenever it is. Um, it's time to look ahead. So we do know that there will be some changes to the Raw squad. So the confirmed departures uh, that we are aware of at the moment, there could be more still to come. And knowing our luck, there probably will be some announced early tomorrow morning before you've had a chance to listen to this because um, all the player contracts expire in three and a quarter hours if I am doing my maths correctly. Um Confirmed departures, Macaulay Gillespie, he's uh, heading back home to England, as I think we all expected. Dylan Wenzel-Halls is off to Western United. Riku's heading back to Constantol Sapporo on loan return. Same for Joey Chantmas to the Newcastle Jets. Anthony Burke-Gilroy is off to Altona Magic. Danny Kim, as it turns out, went to Geelang International in Singapore. Uh, To be confirmed for Jordan Courtney Perkins, although we did get a thing on Twitter last night, actually, I'm fairly certain. Uh, saying he's been linked with Polish club RKS Rakow, which is playing in the Europa Conference League this season, which is more than what I can say for my Premier League club, Arsenal, because they apparently aren't good enough for European football. Scott, just talk before I go too far down the rabbit hole. It's a great competition, the third tier of European football, James. It's much better than that secondary competition, which my club lost in a penalty shootout. So, But look, he's joining... He's, he's, listed on the website of RKS Rakow in Port- in Poland, so I don't know if it's a trial or if he's signed or what, but he seems like he's over there currently and they are the Polish Cup champs and to your point, they're playing in the UEFA the conference competition, so we wish him all the best. If he can go over there and get regular playing time, the Polish league's the sort of place where Bundesliga clubs routinely recruit from, so if he goes over there and becomes a standout, he might be able to move to, to a league like that, which opens up all sorts of opportunities for him, so well, on the surface, it looks like an odd move. If he goes there and plays as a young player, that's that's the most important thing is he plays. And if he does, it might open up doors for himself. Yeah. Remember, he's 18 years old. He has got plenty of time to develop in the in the in a league in Poland, and whatnot, and be picked up by scouts you know, in the big leagues. So, look, it's a, it's it's only a good thing for him, and you know, wish him all the best. Yeah, um, I was just seeing uh, where they're based in terms of... Uh... Oh, no, that's definitely not... Good part of the world? Oh, not really. You like it? You want to go visit him over there? Not, re- not really, uh, because I can't actually pronounce the city that it is based in. <laughs> uh, Czechs de Chower? So, maybe not uh, 
the booming nightlife for 18-year-old would be looking for. But probably, by the sounds of it, yeah, it will be a good uh, place for him to develop his game. And obviously, you know, hopefully he will be going on to bigger and better things as the season, uh, as the years go along. Um, Gogo Mabrato has also been released. No word on where he's going to wind up playing. Truth be told, I would not be surprised if he wound up, if he likes uh, living in Queensland, that is, could wind up playing for an MPL club here. You never know. Or he could wind up going to Newcastle. We will see. Uh, confirmed arrivals just two to date, although I'm sure there will be more soon because the Raw will have to prepare for the FFA Cup before too long. Matty Steinman, uh, coming from East Bengal, the midfielder. I think we've already discussed his addition on a previous show. What we haven't discussed is uh, Nikola Miliuznic, who has signed from Randers, the attacker slash attacking midfielder. Well, at least he's going to bring pace to the forward line, Adam. Yeah, I was going to say, the only thing we know, other than his statistics or that, is that Nikola Miliuznic, he runs really fast. Yeah, they've really hammered that point, haven't they? He's fast. Yes. I would have loved yes. to see him sign one of the other guys on that graphic they put it actually. That would have been great. Who else was on Harlem would be How good would Harlem be in the, in the A-League, James? Uh, how many goals do you reckon he'd score over under? Three. <laughs> do, a hamstring, <laughs> do a hamstring on one of the pitches. Entirely possible. Well, they're two good signings, aren't they? We've talked about, talked about um, Steinman before. You can see where he fits into the team. 100%, and yeah. Millie Olsnitch is going to be that attacking threat who's got pace in behind, and the Raw have utilised those this year pretty well with Wenzel Halls and Jampness, so... You can see where he fits into that mix. Yep, definitely. And can score a goal from range. Uh, if you have a look at some of his uh, his Adelaide uh, his Adelaide uh, highlights, he can score a goal. So uh, yeah, he'll be, he'll be an interesting one. I think uh, I think he'll be one of very very good use if uh, all goes to plan. Yeah, my theory my theory is I love him if he's a replacement for Champness. I love him if he's a replacement for. Wenzel Halls because I feel like Wenzel Halls is probably better suited to playing on the wing anyway I don't love it if he's an out and out replacement for Riku but I love Riku so that's probably why I think that however I can make my peace with it if he's a replacement for Riku and the resources that would have been otherwise dedicated to Riku go towards signing an out and out number 9 but uh, we'll have to wait and see right now the Raw have 13 players under contract as far as we're aware again the Raw aren't well known for publicising their contract figures. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there's either, you know, for the rest of this season or on a long-term deal. So uh, players under contract for next season, goalkeepers Macklin Freak and Jamie Young. Defenders Aldred, Brindle South, Neville and Brown. So you've got a back four to start off with. Midfielders Ak- Akbari, Daly, O'Shea and Steinman. And the forwards are Demi, Miliuznic and Parsons. To be confirmed... Truen, Hingit, Pal, and Kudo. I would say Truen is almost a lock, I would think, to uh, be playing for the Raw next season. Hingit, it's going to come down to uh, whether or not the Raw... Um, well, whether or not he's probably willing to accept the salary and role that the Raw are prepared to offer him, because I... I like. Oh, we should actually also say to, uh, big congratulations to Jack for finally being able to have his wedding, which was postponed. Uh, yes. It looked like a very spectacular affair. So, very big congratulations to him and Simone's wife. So, yeah. and on that regard, now I you know really hope he has a job in Brisbane next year. 
I think two of those James will be staying and two will be moving on. I mean, there's a good chance, to your point, that it's been it's very difficult to get exact lengths of these things out of the raw at times, but I think Truen and Hingit will be here. I think Kudo and Isaac Powell will be moving on. I'm surprised they didn't announce those two already, actually, to be honest. Um, I think, well, look, Powell's been linked with moves to England, hasn't he? With Brighton and a couple of other clubs mm-hmm. in the 23, so yeah. it seems like his future's away from Brisbane as well. And the only thing I'll get to you in a second, Adam, the only thing I can see with Kudo is they may say, you know what, he had a he had an awful season last year, just adapting and whatnot. But we saw something to justify giving him another shot in twenty twenty two. Yeah, um, I, I, I could say if like I said, we're, we're about to cover um, what what the areas are need in the recruitment for the raw, and yeah, to settle on Masato Kudo as your as your sort of fix a plan, I, I don't I don't think so. I think I I, I don't like look. He, he he's been a great player, you know. Yeah, he's you know prolific scorer in the J League, you know Japanese international. But I don't think he's the answer. If if he's your number one answer as far as you know where they need areas improvement, if they can if they can if he can fit under the salary cap in a squad role, then he might be worth keeping around. But um, yeah, I think it's it might be a late call, and it may have he may have be gone before they need to make that call. Yeah, that's pretty much. All I can say, all right, so we know that there will need to be bodies added at basically every area of the squad bar goalkeeper. Um, but I'd say overall, looking at uh, the players they've got, the glaring hole for me right now is that line-leading uh, striker. And I think that was something that they really did miss last season. Uh, you know, we did joke before about Bessart Barisha. I wouldn't bring him back into this team, to be honest. I think his best days are beyond him and he's probably going to be more of a headache than it's worth but if I'm Warren Moon that's the first and foremost area I'm looking uh, to try and go recruit yeah seven goals and three assists this year for best up so the return is not quite there compared to what you he's been in the past I think ideally James you go and try and find the next best up in in Europe or Asia wherever you go to try and find him that's what you're looking for the guy who can come in and have that sort of impact that he had, what, 10 years ago now almost it was when he first arrived on these shores. I think you want the next guy. You don't want him. And no disrespect to him, he's been an absolutely outstanding player and a great champion here in Brisbane, but I don't think he's the exact option that the Raw should be looking at especially, in that number nine role. Especially because he would take the seven uh, jersey off Parsons. Yeah, and I look, I think as well. I think it just it's it's a, it's a role that you know easier said than done. You know, is, I don't think the uh, I don't think that the league has like I guess when I say league, you know, especially your club like the Raw has the funds to go and find a noted you know fifteen to twenty goals per season strikers. What I think they need, but also what probably eight or nine of the other clubs in the league also need. So. Um, but, that, but I think that's the key to the roar. I think we, we said at the, t- at the top of the um, of the recap that um, yeah, if the roar can find you know, another you know, six or seven goals from somewhere else, um, you know that they're all of a sudden championship contenders. So that's good. I think that's the big glaring hole is that reliable number nine. Where that that is, that's going to be how it depends on how good is the scouting network that the roar has available to them. They've lost, they scored 36 goals last year, James. They've lost 16 of them with Wenzel Halls and Dan Zaki. So, that, with the areas of improvement that the Raw need to fill, obviously, it's in the front third. They need that, that Riku Dan Zaki position. 
needs to be filled. I think we all hope that it might be Riku, fingers crossed. I'm not sure how likely it is, but a player in that mould in the front third who can be the creative link, chipping in with a few goals, and then that big player in the front third who leads the line and spearheads you towards a trophy. All the good teams in the A-League historically have had that player who's been the goal scorer that wins you trophies. It's been Borussia. It's McLaren this year. Look at Bobo and Lafondra and so many of the great goal scorers. Andy Keogh in Perth. And that's the sort of player the Raw need to find. The other one would be, if they're going to play the back three, James, I think they need to find someone who's comfortable playing on the left side of the centre of defence. That was my because next the two question, options, they've, they've, The two options that they've had in that position this year have both moved on. So I know they like young Hassan Ramazani. I think he can be a part of the solution. I don't know if he's up to starting in the A-League just yet, but I think that's the third position they need to fill. So they can get those three things, and it's a big ask, but they're the three things they need to look to try and fill. Yeah, I completely agree with that. that and yeah, that was the next point I was going to raise uh, about the squad was that left-sided soccer. So assuming the formation is going to stay largely the same as what it uh, was this season, that you know hybrid 5-2-3 or 3-4-3, three, three, whatever you want to call it, I feel like your midfield is quite well set then with those four guys for two spots. Um, but but overall, I've got a conspiracy theory that the left-sided um, stopper role may wind up actually getting filled by Corey Brown and you may possibly look at... Uh, or you, that would very much mute his attacking instincts and whatnot, or would require him to, although maybe not considering some of the runs Gillespie went on this year. But I, you may move him inside uh, one spot and try. If the you know market uh, offers you up a really good attacking left fullback, I feel like Brown has the discipline now to really fill that role quite well. And he did play in that central defensive role too. And also, again, I'm just going to throw it out there. Hingit, I think his uh, remaining or the bulk of his remaining career is probably going to be spent as that right-sided stopper of a three-man back line. So you may wind up having to try and recruit more fullback depth as well. But that is, again, where someone like a Ramazani uh, could come in handy. Scott? Do you think we could even see a change of formation to the back four? Because Warren Moon all year talked about being tactically versatile, and he did mix it up a fair bit throughout the season. He stuck mostly with the formation you mentioned. He did play that 4-3-3 as well. And you can kind of see that midfield with Steinman and Akbari as a two with O'Shea for the forward as well, can't you? You yeah. can see them maybe changing it up to that sort of mm. formation. Also, maybe they're thinking they don't need a, a left-sided centre-back because they're not going to play that way next year. We'll have to wait and see. But that's also a possibility. You still need another centre-back either way. Like, Even yeah. if Truen comes back, I would still want four players for two spots. But again, that's just where I keep landing. Yeah, well, that's that's where you know Hassan Ramazani you know comes in as that that fourth that fourth you know specialist centre back and look Ramazani can play across the line as well and and also as well just thinking about that is that maybe there is a way of getting Corey Brown, Jack Hingett, and Josh Brindle South all in the same on the same teams on, on, in the start, starting lineup because we know uh, Josh Brindle South can play in the, play in left back as well and bring and bring Brown into that left centre back role. So there's still plenty of versatility. But look, I'd be comfortable that you know a one or two more signings, you know, in that sort of that defensive slash midfield area as well as probably what's required. Yeah, I think that's absolutely what you're going to have to wind up working on. 
as well as just obviously yeah I, I don't think we're really going out on a limb saying that 13 contracted players there's going to be additions everywhere so not sure there's going to be that many though is there really I mean there'll be, there'll be at least three we're talking about takes you up to 16 how many more do you reckon they'll bring in James because I, I genuinely do believe that that Warren Moon will want to give the young players like an Eli Adams, like a Hassan Ramazani, a Keegan Yelichich, and more players like that, Cyrus Demiol, more players coming through who haven't had a chance yet. I'm not sure it's going to be too many more than maybe four or five signings total in addition to what we already have. But that, that, I don't think it's going to I be... Think... It's not going to be a 10 signings like between now and the start of the year, that's for sure. No, but that four to six range, that gives you the opportunity to add, you know... A defend, uh, two defenders, a midfielder, a, a forward, and maybe someone that can fill in between the forward and midfield role, like that hybrid attacker sort of thing. But yeah. And I do think that uh, phrase you used, that was tactically uh, versatile, that's probably the sort of play that he's going to look for. A guy who can play, you know, it doesn't matter if he's playing on the left, doesn't matter if he's playing on the right or in the middle, someone that they can really bring in. But, um, yeah, there's... A lot of there's a lot of options out there for the raw to address it if they do want to go locally. But I do hope that if they are going to use their visa players, they really are smart about it. Um, but I want to talk. I want to move on quickly just to the NPL. And if you are looking for, like, if Moon really wanted to go for it um, in terms of you know promoting young Queensland-based players, Adam, I'm going to go to you first. Who do you think, like, who are some of the good attacking options uh, in the NPL that people maybe aren't fully aware of just yet? Oh, look, I think it's it's, it's pretty um, it's pretty simple who they go to, and I think it's Andy Pengelly. Um, look, he's 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 on track to be the golden boot again in in NPL, and as far look, I'm not I'm not saying that he. We're talking about the um, number nine. You know that 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 number nine that's that's capable of scoring at 15 goals in the season. He he would be a good addition. You know certainly to improve. I know uh, there's a bit of something going on back there. I think Scott's up to something. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there, there is another name, and I'll let him tell because I think there's that one other obvious name as well that probably comes into that but uh yeah for mine Andy Pangeli I think you know is almost um he'd be worth a look at you know giving you know giving a contract to for next season Pangeli is the answer but Adam is conveniently ignoring a player in his neck of the woods who he does not want to see leave Morton Bay United and that's young Zach Kierpal who's really kicked on in the last 12 months he's a Terrific no, young centre forward work, working Not underneath yet. Royce Brownlee up there. He's a really, really good young player. He's probably more of a project than Andy Pengeli would be, but he's a terrific young player who has caught the eye this year in the NPL Quinton. No doubt about that. There's obviously the young guys at Olympic James who we've seen and talked about time and time again. But speaking of Olympic, hopefully Ben can't get that job at Central Coast, by the way. We I mean, can get more young talent from Queensland going down there as well. But Pengeli and Kierpal will be the two in the front third who you're looking at. Yeah. As well as the obvious guys like Lofthouse who we've spoken about a lot before. Yeah. Well, we were talking about this um, during the week and my, my thoughts on Lofthouse are I really hope someone has actually uh, approached him, even if it's not the Raw, just an A-League club, um, because I think all you can do at this stage is ask. Obviously, there are some questions about whether or not he actually wants to make the step up and play professionally just yet, but all you can do is ask. And 
yeah, those two, those two names are the uh, obvious standouts as well. But um, Scott, we'll go to you next for this one. So, is there anyone who is not on that list that we've discussed already from the Raw Youth team who you think could also be uh, one to make a move up on a scholarship contract, perhaps? There's a couple of really good players in the Raw. This is, they haven't spoken about Bruce. Brandon McMorrow got an opportunity late in the year. In the, on the bench, didn't get on. He, I think he'll be in that mix. Young Jackson Simpkin is a New Zealand international defensively at youth level. He's a really, really good young player. And there's a couple of guys in midfield to keep an eye on as well who are more more defensive-minded midfielders as opposed to creative ones in young Louis Zabala, who came in late last year. And I know the, the Raw have got really high hopes for him. And a player who I know Adam and I are very, very high on as a young player, just coming back from injury, actually, young Harry Talbot. He's a, he he looks a real player. I know he was the Raw's youngest ever scorer in their, in that MPL Academy side from memory, and he's a really good young player as well. So there's, in addition to the guys who've already seen James get a taste of it, there's a good half dozen, if not more than that, who are more than capable of stepping up. There's one other player that uh, in in that um, side of the moment, that, that all conquering, well, not all conquering, but that, that side of the Raw... MPL side at the moment that is flying at the moment and uh, that's uh, the right back Reese Gray he's one as well I think has got you know as far as we were talking before about about fullbacks and that that, that he's a player that I can definitely see you know maybe in a year or two time you know coming in and you know and filling in that uh, I guess that that squad role as a, as a cover fullback and I should point out as well uh, congratulations to Reese Gray and I suppose John Cosmina as well for the Terrace First Eleven completing a perfect eight and GPS uh, season. So I yeah, so Reese Gray still finishing uh, school, so I don't think you have to rush him into the picture just yet. But I do agree. Like we saw him for Brisbane City last year as well. Um, excellent uh, prodigy at fullback. And congratulations to John Cosmina for winning games this season. <laughs> oh, oh, don't be mean. It, it, I'm gonna oh, it was there. I had to, it was like a pinata. I had to hit it. Oh, no. I'm going to swiftly move on from that, James, and get us out of trouble by saying it's the... Um, players like this as well, I think the Roar are going to get their depth from this year. It's not going to be recruiting players who've been released from other A-League clubs. I mean, we've all we've all looked at those lists that have come out in the last week or so and thought, yeah, nah, don't, not really only enamoured with any of those. So I think the, um, the youth team is going to provide a lot of the depth next year and... It, It'll be a handful of players added into that from outside, I think. I honestly thought you two were going to uh, just purely uh, recommend that the Raw sign Pacific Nyongabiri or Teatawai Hudson Wiongi just to hear me have to say those names week in, week out. You've perfected them too well. It's redundant. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. I, I, we'll get Nathan Constantopoulos back for you. You had trouble with that one back in the day. That was the first episode, and that was the first time I'd seen his name. So, you know. Anyway... Um, yeah, I, I think you're right, and that the youth team is where the roar is going to get its depth is going to get its depth from um, next season, and uh, obviously that's also where they're going to try and um, I suppose build the talent from international recruiting. They yeah, I think they've still got four or five external signings to come, and yeah, I can see the rest of the squad being filled up by young players because well, I think I. I feel like there is a minimum number of players you actually have to have signed to a senior contract uh, in the A-League. I don't know if it's... the Number 18 is leaping out at me at the moment, but um, I could be imagining that as well. So, 
it's probably between 18 and 20 that would make sense yeah, yeah. if only we had a device where we could uh, search that up yeah it's not clear to find those things anymore unfortunately no but I mean I'm I would not I know um, I think it was Newcastle or possibly even Central Coast had to go through with a bare bones number of senior contracted players but yeah I think there are going to be a few guys that are going to have to be brought in just to give them starting options but that's also where you do want the starting 11 to come from just looking at the names as we said under contract right now you look at Young Aldred Neville uh, Brown and Brindle South Steinman O'Shea Akbari you know that and then probably Miljusnich as well maybe Parsons that's potentially eight or nine of your opening yeah eight or nine of your opening day uh, starting 11 right there and possibly your best 11 as well just one last thing on this James we talked about players from the MPL here in Queensland but we know that down south in particular they love to recruit recruit players from Queensland and Warren Moon is very familiar with a lot of those players and not, some of them actually got opportunities in the raw squad in training in pre-season guys like Oscar Dillon from Gold Coast Knights went down to Victoria got an opportunity Harry Sawyer was involved in the raw training at one consider. point so mm. was Henry Hoare for example so well, well, they may recruit players from the NPL, not necessarily who are playing in Queensland currently. I think there's a fair chance some players who are down there in Victoria who've got ties to Queensland and ties to Warren Moon might be potentially looked at this year once again. Yep. All right. And there are three examples of a whole long list of players you can oh, go and find who've, who are Queensland-produced players who are very who are standouts at that, at that level of football. Yeah. That list is somewhere near 42? <laughs> Higher. 60, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, higher. Yeah, <laughs> go figure. Um, it grows by the second, I think. <laughs> sounds about right. Um, on that point as well, I would really like to finish off just talking about the league in general and what we want to get um, you know, in the coming season. Obviously, there's a lot for us to really uh, look forward to in terms of the new broadcast deal. I think that is the biggest takeaway that we're all um, very much excited about. Uh and the future of football on 10 and Paramount Plus, which will also be the home of the national teams and FFA Cup. So, yeah, I think there is there is a lot to look forward to, um, but it is really important for the A-League to go and build on the momentum generated because, let's be honest, we can't keep saying, oh, it's prime to take off. This feels like a boom or bust uh, season coming up where hopefully the COVID excuse is gone, or at least minimized to a point where it maybe impacts one of the 150-odd games of the season. I just feel like this is something that we're really going to have to, you know, hope for the best on. And at least I know Channel 10 is going to do a really good job because they've got that investment in the league. But yeah, there's just... There's a lot for us to, I suppose, still be quite wary of going forward just in terms of an overall just day-to-day operations thing. Yeah, and look, Channel 10's promotional league has already started in a subtle way. I think Archie Thompson's going to be on the Celebrity MasterChef coming up in a couple of weeks' time. So they've already started it. I know James is thrilled to, to see what he can... But it's, it's, a, it's the start of the cross-promotion, isn't it? Yeah. And they're going to continue it with plenty of their shows over the course of the time, and they'll invest in it heavily. And I look forward to seeing exactly what they do with it. I don't know you got something to say. Do you have you, James? Yeah, well, I was going to... I do... You know, I do joke about Archie Thompson getting on Celebrity MasterChef, but 
I do re- I do hope this is where the fan base stops taking itself so seriously and doesn't think that they're above this sort of cross-promotional stuff. Like, you hear everyone whinging about, you know, that Star Wars round a while ago. But that's the sort of stuff that you are going to have to get to do that sort of mainstream... or to warrant that sort of mainstream media attention because apparently podcasts and all that other stuff just isn't enough for some people. Yeah, and you'll probably see some A-League identities on one of Adam's favourite shows, Survivor, in future seasons as well. And on a show which I know you and I watch, James, have you been paying attention on a fairly regular basis? And we've already suggested the idea of um, Santo Sam and Ed returning, so I'm sure they're going to promote in that direction. But going away Absolutely. from the going away from the broadcast element, there's a couple of issues in the game which have been spoken about. I think we've spoken about them for about five years on this show. Things like the transfer system and the salary cap. It's time to put up or shut up on issues like that in the next six months. The the TV broadcasting is done. The league separation is done. Now start working on those things and get them done. Because I remember a story at the beginning of the season that, oh, the the transfer system is ready to go. It's just got to be rubber stamped. Well, we're seven months later and it has not been rubber stamped and it still seems to be as far as far away as it was two years ago. So things like that, which supposedly are very easy to fix, we'll get them fixed then. Let's start with things like that. Yeah. I'm sick of hearing about transfer transfer systems and salary caps and all the rest of it. Get it sorted. Or don't bring them up again. That's what I want to see done this off-season. Well, it's one. I think it's a lot of common common sense stuff that the APL needs to sort of engage on because I said if the rumours are to be true, uh, I said with with schedule fit with uh, fixtures scheduling and whatnot, like there's no like I said there's always going to be the complaint. Oh, you're playing in the middle of summer, which means the game is going to suffer and all that. Well, in in you know in December January, listen now now that it's it's clear now that Paramount the Paramount Plus as a streaming service, you don't need to have every single game in every single time slot. If it means to have you have four games on a Saturday night at 7.30 and you have the one game on on the, on the Channel 10, there's no reason why you have to have a 2pm game on, on a Sunday afternoon in the blazing heat. Like, I think it's clear now that the, the way the viewership in the league goes now, it's not like the Fox Sports model where... Every single fan needs to watch every single game of every single week. They're invested in their own in their own team and occasionally watch one of the big flagship games, be it a Big Blue, a Melbourne Derby, a Sydney Derby, whatever. So instead of you know, insulting everyone's intelligence and going, oh well, we need to have a game at, at, on Friday night, you know, a game on you know three games on Saturday back to back to back, and then a Sunday game which you know could be you know could be affected by hot weather or humidity or whatever. You know what? Schedule them to the best times where you can get the best football. I think, and I think that's the sort of common sense approach. Is that you know now that you don't have Fox Sports pulling the strings, demanding every game quite exclusively live. I think that's where it needs to go. Where you know put the games where the fans want that will either be happy to show up and watch the games, or happy to show up and watch them on on uh, Paramount Plus or on Ten. Have them in two windows. I agree with you. Have two windows on a Saturday Saturday twilight. And Saturday night. Now, I, you know me, James. I don't like the AFL in any way whatsoever. But I was roped into watching it on Saturday night on Fox, actually. And sure, you were. I was. I was thrilled. I was just about able to stay awake through the whole thing. It was absolutely marvelous. All the all the points Jeez, of order. Isn't that all the points of order for missing? Uh, I'm not sure, but I was riveted by it. But what they actually did was they 
and this is something that Channel Ten could probably do as well. Is they could ha- they have a sh- they had a show after it, which basically a recap show of the of the whole day's play, and that's maybe where you could bring Santo Seven Ed. And you have a game, have it have that so three or four games on a Saturday night, and at half time you show the highlights and the goals, and at full time you do it again, and then after the after that you go to a, an hour long highlights and comedy type show where you. Like that. that to me is the way I would do it because I agree with you the idea of playing games at 4, 7 and 9 on a Saturday and then 4 and 6 on a Sat on a Sunday it just it, you don't need that I don't think it costs any sport in this country does anyone really sit there and watch 8 games of the AFL every week or 8 games of NRL or 5 A-League games or 6 A-League games now sorry no one yeah, does not, it not point, days, everyone no. just watches their own team so I don't think it's I don't think you need to have it Set set like that, and not particularly for Paramount Plus with their with their ratings. I don't think that you need to have them back to back to back. The way it's it's, it's a very different setup, isn't it? Because it's pay per view, essentially. Yeah, mm. and it will be a lot more free to run on demand. So hypothetically, yeah. you know, if you wanted to say the Roar are playing Adelaide at Dolphin Stadium at six thirty on a um, Saturday night, but at the same time you've also got Melbourne City playing Perth at Amy Park, or you know that kicks off at seven yeah. o'clock or something. It's not that it's not that hard then. By the time you get home from Morton Daly, um, to wind up, you know, going okay, well, I'll just flick on Paramount Plus and watch, you know, the possibly even the mini match version of that game rather than the full ninety minutes because, yeah, those I, I have I will admit those have been uh, great for keeping up with the Premier League and everything on uh, Optus Sport those. 20-odd minute mini-matches. So, there is... Just don't lose out by having five Premier League games at once, do they? No. No. But all like the their one... own team when those it also, it also, as well, well, it reduces also the excuses. Like, we know, for example, here up in Brisbane, the excuses, oh, you can't have a 6.30 game on a Friday night because everyone can't get home from work in time. Or you can't have a 6pm Sunday night game because, oh, the kids need to be in bed by a certain time for school the next day. So, you play it to the best... Like, if, it, if it's a Brisbane home game, Brisbane Raw get the choice to say, well, we want it at 6.30 on a Saturday night. And it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter who else is playing on because it should be on. It'll, it'll either be a, you know, a sh- the free-to-air game or it'll be on Paramount Plus and streaming. Like, it, it, doesn't, it shouldn't matter anymore. It's, it's got to be a case of you need to cut the excuses out for the fans for not showing up or not watching these games. And I think this is the perfect opportunity. Give the fans yeah. what they want. I, I will just say purely as a counterpoint here, Adam, though, is surely Channel 10 are going to want their one game per week to have clear air. So, I, you know, they're going to say, like, the football-watching public are probably going to want that to have, you know, if it's a 5 o'clock Saturday evening game, whether it's a 7.30 Saturday game. That's why I said have two windows on a Saturday, James. Yeah, but that's... I know, but that, I'm just saying, like... It may turn out to be like the Premier League where you want, you know, you have two games kicking off at 5pm and a, the feature one at 7.30 plus a Friday night game That's down That's probably the way to be, isn't it? You'd have two mm. games kicking off 5 to 5.30 then Channel 7's game at 7.30 kickoff with a half hour lead in and then after that maybe they have an hour long show where they recap the full day's play. Yeah. And That's the way. I, I, like, I agree with you. I think Channel 10 are going to want to have the game on their free to wear not just be the big teams every week but also have the eyeballs on it with no other games coming. So that might be the one window where you have to do that. But for the Paramount Plus games, I, there's no reason. There's no reason yeah. to, to have them all at separate times. 
Yeah, I look. I I don't. I I disagree. I don't think you really need to. I I think only because again, most people like having it having it on free to wear means that especially those who choose not to get it on Paramount Plus or the casual sports fans, they're the ones that are going to tune in on the Channel Ten games. Now it might be a game that you know that we don't couldn't care less about. Like it'd be a Melbourne Victory game or a Sydney FC game. But if they're all playing at the same time away from home. That's going to be the game that, that we're going to watch. It's I don't think, but I think we're going to be in the minority. I think the casual sports fans, and that's the one market that that game is aiming for. Not only just the hardcore fans, they're all going to be on Channel Ten because that's free to wear. There's no restrictions. If you want to watch your team play on on Paramount Plus, then you know what you do that. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, silver linings. There's a hell of a lot to look forward to in the A League and W League next season as well. Um, I think the Paramount Plus launches early August and the FFA Cup will be soon after that so certainly a lot for us all to look forward to um, the one final point for next season that I'm looking forward to uh, will be the new Raw kits getting launched I, I think they found the right formula uh, this season uh, you know orange and black home kit white away black uh, alternate stick with that formula that's um, that would be an interesting question who will be the um the apparel, uh, the, I guess the apparel sort of sponsor on that as well. And I honestly, I, I know I've said this uh, probably off air more than on air, but um, look, it doesn't have to be the usual. It doesn't have to be the usual. Like I said, there are plenty of good kit makers that are probably not as well known. I, I look at someone like a Vito or a KPI who, uh, for those who are not in Queensland, probably are not familiar with, but they've got plenty of uh, contracts within the, um, within the NPL and they do a great jersey. No, yeah, I some, wouldn't, some great wouldn't. jerseys in the NPL this year. I think the Gold Coast yeah. Knights jersey looks absolutely great with the detailing on that as an example from the companies you mentioned there, Adam. So I think that, yeah, you, people, it might be more brand awareness for someone like an Umbro or a Nike or an Adidas or whatever, but you're getting a cookie-cutter template, aren't you? You're not going to design something for you specifically. So that's where some of the lo- more local ones, you might get those extra special touches and more detail, which I think that's what would be really good. And I think there's a couple of really good examples around the place. Just look yep. at some of the Vito's indigenous um, kits yeah. as well. You tell me how good, good their work is. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that is going to be it for this edition and season five of the Brisbane Football Review. Well, start off. Thank you, Scott. Five years down. It seems like just yesterday we were recording in a studio in Yeronga, which James nearly blew up. <laughs> I'm never living that down. Adam, thank nope. you. Yeah, thanks, guys. And thanks to all our listeners for putting up with us all season long. And we'll be back uh, never next season, whenever that is. That's it. And if you can't uh, if you can't wait that long for your Brisbane Football Review fix, remember to check out the NPL Sunday show, which will be out, well, any Sundays where there's NPL action to recap, which may or may not be this weekend um, as well. And, uh, Scott, there was one other thing you wanted to mention. Yes, we have a show coming up next month, James, an off-season special. We might leave... I'm, exactly I'm leaving it to you because it, this we is We might your... leave exactly what it's for, but we'll tease that we have a show coming up late next month. Okay. So stay tuned for that. Um, but yes, NPL Sunday as well. And just as Adam said, thank you everyone for listening over the course of the 2021 A-League season. We've had a lot of fun bringing you the Brisbane Football Review and we're looking forward to... Well, hopefully a few more seasons to come. And uh, in, in the meantime, enjoy your off-season. Get out to the NPL grounds because there is some fantastic football 
taking place out there as well. And if you go to the ground, then you don't have to listen to me on NPL TV. That's why we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but you guys stand near the effects mic so I can hear your conversation sometimes. Shh, just not us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's it. All right, thank you, everyone. It's been a pleasure bringing you uh, the action this season, and we'll be back bigger and better than ever for Season 6 of the Brisbane Football Review. We'll talk to you then.